Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful week. I'm really pleased today because I have a guest in studio with me. And Juan Padilla is with me. Did I say your name correct, Juan? Yes, uh, Juan Padilla. Juan Padilla. Okay. I'm I'm not really great with Spanish, but I sure try. (laughs) And I met Juan through a Facebook group that we both belong to. And it is for families that have younger onset of Alzheimer's. And both of us are in a study out of Washington University at St. Louis. And it really um, humbles me. And I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, I'm very honored and very excited and happy to, to be on your show. I'm very happy that we were able to connect through that Facebook group. And I'm excited to share my, sto- my story as a caregiver for, for my mom and um, the Alzheimer's gene that's in my family. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to be here. And we're going to talk about that. So when we actually met was a pretty sad time for you because your mom had just passed away and it was on Christmas Day. Yes. Uh, so the this last month of last year, December, was uh, was a sad time. Everything happened so fast. Uh, and yeah, my mom did pass away at exactly 3 in the morning Eastern Time on Christmas Day. Oh, wow. First of all, I'm so sorry for you and your family, and deepest condolences there. So let's Thank you in, so much. Let's introduce you to, to my listeners. And so you currently live in South Bend, Indiana, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. You were born in Chicago. I'm an Illinois girl myself, but not from Chicago. <laughs> But your parents are both from Guadalajara. Yes. Right? Yeah. And you have one brother, Diego. Yep, an older brother. And, oh, yeah. I have all, I have all <laughs> older brothers and sisters, so I know what that's like. <laughs> I hope you get along well. <laughs> we do. We uh, do for the most part. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, there's always there's always something, you know, sibling rivalry or something, but, you know, it's great to have family for sure. And you work as an account manager for Press Ganey. What is that? Uh, Yeah, so I just started working for a company called Press Ganey. And what they do is simply they offer products for um, hospitals and clinics to improve their patient experience uh, and their caregiver experience. So, for example, one of the basic products are surveys. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just started with them. Actually, I've been, I think this is my sixth month. But before this, I was a teacher for local high schools and middle schools. And I did teach for uh, five years. Wow. That is a great, great vocation. And did you enjoy teaching? Uh, yes, at, at the end. At first, it was stressful learning how to teach because I didn't go for education uh, in my undergrad. Okay. <laughs> what what pushed you into it then? So for my undergraduate, I did go for um, pre-dental. So I did want to go to dental school and become a dentist after I went to this summer internship in Cleveland, Ohio, after my freshman year mm-hmm. at Case Western Reserve University. Mm-hmm. However, when we started my, noticing my mom get... Um, worse in terms of memory, memory loss, I did decide to put that goal of mine on hold uh, and come back to South Bend and help my dad take care of her. Oh, you're sweet. Which, I'm sure which you is when I, that. Yeah, go ahead. Which is when I dis- um, became a teacher. One of my colleagues reached out and said um, they needed teachers because of the current teacher shortage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So why do you want to share your mom's story? I've wanted for a long time for someone to come on the show that could talk about, you know, the fact that there are people who get Alzheimer's young. 
And that's what this Facebook group is about that, that we belong to. And it's people that, that typically will get the gene early in life. And, um, and people think that's an anomaly, but it's not. It happens a lot. We happen to know a lot of people in that group um, that, that know different as well. But why did you want to tell your mom's story? help raise awareness and help the people out there that uh, don't know how to be a caregiver for, for someone with Alzheimer's, how to access resources, how to improve their quality of life as also as well as the person who has Alzheimer's. Because going into this with my mom, I didn't know anything. I, I didn't even know my family's history. Um, I did know that my grandpa did become sick at a young age, but I didn't specifically specifically know that it was Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So I want to get I want to get this knowledge out there. I want to get this awareness out there so that others don't have to go through what I had to go through in terms of the not knowing what's going on stage. Right. So let's talk about your mom. And her name was Eva. Yes. Okay. And people knew her by Adriana. That's her middle name, right? Yes. So her full name is Eva Adriana Arriaga, and the family nickname is Nanis. Oh, sweet. <laughs> and I think, I believe that comes from uh, her younger brother, my uncle Armando, who um, is uh, deceased. He wasn't able to pronounce uh, Adriana, so he called her Nanis. <laughs> That's a sweet story. Yeah. So, and she was born in March of 1970. Yes. Right. And then she met your dad. Yeah, she she met my dad, I believe, in the late 80s. Uh-huh. Uh, so they both met in Guadalajara, Jalisco. They both worked at this company called Salsa, which mm-hmm. is a uh, which is a tequila manufacturer. Okay. Uh, so that's where they met and um, ended up being married for uh, almost 31 years. They got married in 1991. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, my, my dad was um, a very good caregiver for my mom. And that's 31 years. Sounds like a long time, but really, it's not long enough, is it? Yeah. No, it's a, it's a blink of an eye. Right. And what age did she start realizing she was having memory problems? Do you know? Uh, we believe that she started realizing this um, maybe 2009, 2010. Okay. Uh, but my mom also um, was part of the caregiving experience for her dad, my grandpa. Mm-hmm. So my grandpa passed away i believe in 1992 okay or maybe before like i said i, I don't know the actual history mm-hmm. um but my grandpa started showing signs um as well in the 40s and then had to be taken care of um in, in his later stages but my mom was there uh during some of those stages so my mom was aware of the sickness but she didn't understand it to the same point that i do now Right. And if my math is right, she was around 39 or 40 when she started realizing she was having problems. Yes. Um, So her her mother, my grandma, passed away in 2005 when she was 35. Mm -hmm. And after that, um, she did go into depression from um, my my grandma passing away. And after that, we did notice more anxiety, more uh, depression and more panic attacks. Okay. And probably because she was recognizing some signs and maybe mm-hmm. was afraid to say something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as she progressed, we, we didn't know what to blame it on, whether, oh, this is just depression. Oh, this is just anxiety. Uh, oh, this is just menopause. We we didn't know what to blame it on because we didn't know. We, we couldn't um, process the fact that it could be Alzheimer's since she was so young. Right. And, you know, a lot of people, um, and, and especially in the underserved communities that that don't understand, you know, 
how to deal with with various diseases. Um, I have found that with my Hispanic friends, you keep this very close to the vest. You mm-hmm. really uh, think we can all just take care of her, you know, and, and, they, and oftentimes, and when I worked at the Alzheimer's Association, we had a lot of trouble earning the respect of the Hispanic community that we could help them because they're just so fiercely tight with their families yes. and not wanting to talk about anything like this. What are your thoughts on yes. that? I agree. Um, my cousin was the first one to bring it up to bring, bring it to our attention. My cousin, her name is uh, Maura Montalvo. Mm-hmm. And she's my cousin on my mom's side. She is the daughter of my mom's older sister, uh, Angelica. Mm-hmm. And there was one holiday season i believe they went black friday shopping and they took my mom with them and my mom began asking my cousin uh what time is it several times and another question she she asked my cousin was what store are we in and she kept asking this several times Mm -hmm. so my cousin was the first one to bring this to my attention uh, i believe back in 2011 2012 around there mm-hmm. but I was in denial I, I didn't want to believe it um, no nobody in my family wanted to believe it mm-hmm. even and, if, even if we were seeing those those uh, those issues well I'm not surprised because you know as we've talked you said she was active in her community she was active with her church she liked Zumba workout classes for all intents and purposes she seemed like she was on target for just a happy healthy life Yes, she was uh, very active, would love to go on walks with her dogs, uh, very socially active with her friends, uh, Zumba classes, active in the church community. She would uh, be one of the um, script readers in church. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we we couldn't believe it. Wow. I want to I want to talk about her. Let's give her a face for people, okay? Because one thing I always am concerned about is that when people see someone with Alzheimer's and they're beginning to notice it, it's usually when their mind is slipping, they are having repetitive questions, they're not the person that they were. So let's build a picture of her as she was. Yeah. Adriana, who who was she? Tell me from a young age, you know, what her childhood was like and what she was like as a person. Start with her childhood. Uh, so from what from the stories of my aunts and um, my older cousins, they tell me that my mom was, you know, one of the best human beings that, that they ever met. She was always happy. She was always very nice. The energy that she brought into every room was was unmatchable. Um, she she was always a very loving sister, a very loving daughter, a very loving friend, a very loving wife, oh. a very loving mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she always had the best intentions for everyone. Um, and even though she would get in, into arguments with, with her family uh, and us from time to time, she would always be there for us no matter what. Oh. Was she a good cook? Oh, I miss her cooking so much. <laughs> she would, she, yeah. <clears throat> what are some of your favorite things that she made? Well, one of my favorite things that I actually had here last night in Arizona is something called enchiladas suizas. Uh-huh. Uh, so pretty much it's uh, chicken, green salsa, and Swiss cheese. And she mm-hmm. she would bake these in the in the oven. And that's just one of my favorite memories is whenever she would cook that dish. Oh, nice. What was what was she like in terms of what were some of her talents besides cooking? Did she like to go for walks? Was she good at holidays? Was she, you know, good at helping you guys with your homework when you were growing up? Yeah, she was the best mom uh, my brother and I could ask for. And she would help us with our projects. She was very talented um, in terms of like art-wise which I'm not, so that was good for me as a, <laughs> as a child. Um, she loves music. She, mm. she, that was one of her favorite things in life is music, cumbia, and dancing. Oh. Dancing was one of her favorite things. Nice. Did her life. and your dad dance a lot? 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so she had a really robust life. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, she, she made the best of her life, even though some circumstances weren't in her favor in terms of my grandpa getting sick. Right. Um, you know, my grandmother's passing or mm-hmm. the headaches that my brother and I and my dad would give her. Because it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy taking care of, of us three. You know? yeah, being, she, being the only woman only in she the could house. do that yeah. <clears throat> right being the only woman in the house <laughs> yeah when we talk a little bit about your grandpa do you remember him were you old enough to know anything about him uh no so i just heard stories from him that he was the best guy ever um and a really good person just like just like my mom but i, I believe he passed away before i was born Oh, really? Yeah. That's sad. But you've seen pictures of him and yes. so forth, right? Do you look yeah. like him at all? I don't think so. <laughs> but he was a <laughs> he was a very handsome and tall man and, oh. and a really good person. <laughs> hey, I've seen your picture. You're handsome. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, how old are you? I am 28 years old, but I'll be turning 29 this May, May 4th. Okay. Well, happy birthday in advance. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> you are right in the prime. Don't you worry about it. You're you're young in the scheme of things. Well, let's talk about when you did start noticing your mom's memory loss. And you said you were a little bit in denial. Um, yes. Was it because they came on slow? Um, you know, the repetitive questions, not being able to find her keys. What was it that, besides your cousin on that shopping day, that that made you really start noticing what was happening? Well, the one day that I, I noticed that something was was really wrong, it was a, a summer day that I came I came home from IU Bloomington. And at that time, I think my parents only had one car. So my, da- my mom would drop my dad off and pick him up. Mm-hmm. And I came home one summer day and I went to the beach with my friends. And on the way back, I have a lot of missed calls from my dad. Uh, saying that my mom didn't pick him up. So I start driving home, and on the way home, I see my dad walking on the street, walking towards home. It's about It was probably about a 30-minute walk home from where he works. Mm-hmm. So I picked him up, and I asked him, like, hey, is mom okay? And he's like, I don't know. But when we get home, um, she's having, like, a panic attack um, in, in her in her bedroom. And she says, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, I just I just want to feel better. Mm-hmm. So in one of those panic attacks, we did take her to the hospital. And back then, I was hoping that the hospital would have answers, but they didn't. They just called it uh, an anxiety attack. Uh, so that's when I started really noticing that things were going south. Mm-hmm. And... Do you think those anxiety attacks were just her being scared because now thoughts are getting jumbled in her brain? She's not remembering things the way she used to. Did she did she tell you anything that gave you any clues that maybe that was where it was turning? Yeah, actually I, I remember now one day we were we were driving home and she tells me I don't want to I don't want this to happen to me. I don't want to get sick. And I didn't know what she was talking about at that time. She, she explicitly told me, Hey, um, I don't, I don't want this to happen to me. Uh, and I think she was talking about what happened to her dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, at that time, I didn't know what was, what was happening. So I just asked her what happened to you? What, like, what are you referring to? What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. So looking back, I did see, I, I'm starting to realize more and more signs than at the, at the time. Can you think of any? Um, just fear, mm-hmm. a lot of fear. I think she was self-aware that that something was going on, and and she was scared because she saw she saw what it did to her dad, and it took her her dad away. That day in the car, did she actually tell you that her dad had memory loss? No. Oh, she didn't. Did just that you know he was having trouble. Did she? Did, was she able to articulate it? at all no well that probably was a clue to you too right yeah but 
one of the things that I, I don't like about my family, um, and not that I hold it against them anymore, but they they didn't tell us explicitly what happened to to my grandpa. And maybe they did tell my brother and not me, but mm-hmm. they they didn't fill us in and, and what happened, what's going to happen to my mom. Because they had a they had, they didn't they also didn't understand what happened to my grandpa. They they thought it was witchcraft. You know, that's not the first time I've heard that. Yeah. You know, I think I think sometimes when there's not a lot of education put out in your community and you you don't know and you're left to try to, you know, discern what all this information means or, or what they're saying and why are they saying it. And, and I, I think in years past, even when it was called hardening of the arteries and people didn't understand what it was, um, sometimes they thought it was God punishing you or or witchcraft and things like that. And, and yeah. nobody had any other avenue to go down. So they just kind of – that's why I think a lot of times they would keep it very close to the vest and not share it with people. They thought they would be judged. Yeah, exactly. Well, one story I remember from my grandpa is that he uh, was a great guy. He was a great guy. He, he uh, got together with my grandma – um, and my grandma already had five kids of her own. Um, and he was able to take care of her and the five kids and give her five more kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in total, my grandma had 10 kids, but he was able to take care of all of them. And that's why I hear so many great stories about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I hear, oh, they think this is witchcraft. And then my grandpa, his dad uh, also, um, had the gene. But back then, they, he was put into an asylum, and he was just called crazy. Right. Yeah. Right. So my, mm-hmm. Go ahead. So I would hear stories of my grandpa saying, oh, I'm going to go crazy like my dad. I'm going to go crazy. That he would say that back in the day. Well, and it, you know, I can imagine that that contributed heavily to your mom's anxiety. Yes. I mean, there's no way it couldn't, right? She had this, all this history that she's looking at and saying, so this is going to happen to me. Oh no. No wonder she had that conversation with you in the car. Yeah. She started notice, noticing signs and differences. Mm-hmm. And what's shocking is that she was so young. Yes. And probably and, so was her dad. And, and so- her, and my mom, my mom was very naturally young looking uh, when she would pick us up from school or she would go to parent meetings they would think she was our sister. <laughs> <laughs> so she was always very young looking, uh, up, even in, in her sickness. She, she still kept that young looking face that she had. And so pe- we, were, we were all in denial that that was happening to her. Well, I can certainly understand that. So how did you find out about WashU St. Louis? Uh, so... Washington, St. Louis didn't come into the picture until August of 2018. So about three years into helping my dad take care of my mom. Uh, so we we didn't actually understand the real reason of why my mom was sick until we went to IU, uh, IU, IU Health Neurology in Indianapolis, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And we met with a neurologist who told us about, you know, how genetics can play a factor in this. And he thought my mom was going to have the Jalisco mutation. So there's a genetic mutation for Alzheimer's called the Jalisco mutation, which apparently um, is this concentrated gene in the state of Jalisco in Mexico. Mm -hmm. However, her test results uh, came back and she was positive with the PSEN1 gene. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then I noticed that the neurologist, although he cared about, you know, my mom's state, he really focused on informing my brother and I what the next steps are for him and I, since my mom was already progressing. Mm -hmm. So, we're going to take a break here in a minute, and I'm going to have you explain why that was important, okay? Okay. And what the 
uh, PSEN1 is and why that doctor was concerned for you because that is um, a gene mutation that meant that she could pass it down to her children, which is a yes. scary, scary, scary state of <laughs> affairs. And oh, yeah. oftentimes uh, we don't want to know. And they offer us tests to see if we you know, are carrying that gene or if it's been passed down to us. But we have a choice of knowing or not knowing. And in my family... Um, we've been part of a study out of WashU, and they're doing a familial study of our family for many, many years. Since uh, uh, oh gosh, I think it's been it's been probably close to seventeen years now. And we gave my mom's brain to science because it was very important for us to share this information. If you're not part of the cure. You, you, you can't be the cure. Exactly. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one -on -one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, we are back and I have Juan Padilla on the show with me today and Juan's Mom, Adriana, had younger onset Alzheimer's and started noticing problems when she was around the age of 39, 40, somewhere in there. And uh, over time, Juan and his family realized that maybe her father and her grandfather also had Alzheimer's and did not live to an old age. And Juan is uh, gracing us today with his presence to tell us a little bit more about this story. So welcome back. Yes. Thank you, Joe. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here uh, and sharing, <laughs> share this knowledge with you all. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so we were talking about Washington University at St. Louis. I love that research group. They've been strong in Alzheimer's and frontal temporal studies for many, many years. They've been a leader in the country with research, and they are heavily focused on folks who will get Alzheimer's at a very young age. And Juan, I don't know about you, but I am always trying to explain to people that if they think this is an old person's disease, they are wrong. Yes. And we know that, that there are babies born in this country that have it. There were 15 in 2021. Um, we know that the younger you are, oftentimes the, the shorter your term of having the disease is because it is a terminal disease. I think that could be because we have a really strong, fast uh, metabolism. Yeah. And uh, I think maybe it moves through our body a little sooner. I'm not sure why. But you were just explaining that a neurologist at U of I in Indianapolis, by the way, my husband went there <laughs> at Bloomington, but the neurologist oh, wow. at, at, um, at the U of I had said to you that he thought this was a little bit um, more intriguing, I guess is not a great word, but it's one that comes to mind, that your mom had a gene mutation 
that generally hits people at a much younger age. And so he started to explain that to you. Can you explain it to my listeners? Yes. Uh, so uh, as I was saying before our break, uh, we took my mom to a neurology appointment to Indiana University uh, Neurology in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, to finally see why my mom had early onset Alzheimer's. And I remember the meeting, uh, the neurologist, although he was observing and studying how my mom, my mom's behavior and um, how she reacted when he talked to her, uh, right away he started talking about genetic testing and uh, informing my brother and I about the genetic testing if she came back positive with a, with a genetic mutation um, for Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I was 25, and my brother was 20, 28. Okay. That's heavy. Um, so I, I can tell that right away he sees, you know, two young men um, with a mom that has young, early onset Alzheimer's, and he wants to make sure that we're informed about what we can do to see whether we're positive for that and uh, what we can do to to prepare for this. Did you want to, I mean, at that moment, weren't you just like scared shitless? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> right? I think I was in shock. Uh, yeah. For me, it takes me a while to process things. Uh, things don't hit me until sometime after. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the, in, when, in the moment, I'm, I'm just like in shock. And I feel like I've been in, um, in a shock state of mind ever since first taking care of my mom in 2015. Um, I bet you have. And that's a scary thing to hear. That's a Mm -hmm. really scary thing to hear. And in your mind, I I don't know about you, but for me, I I say, wow. um, Yeah. Do I want to know? Do I want to know? Because the first thought that came to my mind is if I am positive for this, Will I ever have another happy day in my life? Right? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, will it change the way I decide to live? Right? Yeah. And yeah, all those questions were going through my head as well. Yeah. And you just go, wow, I don't know. And they will offer you, I hope they offered you uh, counseling, um, you know, to talk it through and what if it is positive and, you know, but, but everybody has to make a decision for themselves whether or not they want to know. If you want to just continue to live the way you're living or if you want to know. And yeah. in your case, what did you decide? So my brother and I talked talked about it and we decided to, to get tested. Uh, his main incentive or motivation to get tested is the fact that he has two kids. Okay. So my brother became a young father at an at the age of seventeen. Ooh, uh, yeah. With my beautiful niece uh, Anai, who's going to turn fourteen mm-hmm. in June. Okay. So I didn't want him to to do it by him by himself. So I just I decided to sign up as well. <laughs> well what a good brother you are! <laughs> so you just wanted to be able to help him and help yeah. each other, and um, it's a it's a scary thing to do and. Um, if I can, if we have someone to do it with, then that's better than doing and, it by yourself. Right. And so you took the test and did yes. they call you or did you go in? Uh, they called us with the results. They called. Yep. Okay. And did your heart stop? Yeah. It was yeah. just one of those moments where time stops and you're like, you know, everything, everything stops and you're just focusing on what the other person is telling you through the phone. Okay. Were you with your brother at the time? No, we weren't. We weren't actually together. Okay, so you didn't know what his was, and he didn't know what yours was. Exactly. Right. Will you share? Of course. Uh, yeah. So I remember the phone call, and um, uh, the lady—I forgot her name—but she starts explaining the test results, and you know, says the word positive. And then after that, just we start asking her some questions, and. Uh, she's telling me about, you know, signing up for trials, signing up for this and that. And it took me a while to process process the results. I, I think maybe at least a month. I did reach out to other people that I that I knew were positive because they told me on Facebook. 
I, I just reached out to them to kind of process process everything. Mm-hmm. And so just because you're positive doesn't mean you will get it. Uh, that's one of the questions I asked, but it's just because I'm positive, it's, it means I'm highly likely to get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're hoping. <laughs> yeah. You know, so after a so, month, how, what, what other processes went through your mind? What life changing things crossed your mind? So I, you know, I started asking myself, um, well, this is very important for if I, if I want to develop a relationship with someone, have a family with someone. Um, they did tell us about CRISPR, I believe it's called, where you can um, alter uh, genetics of an of an embryo, so to make sure that they don't that they're not positive with the with the gene in your offspring. So all of those things just going through my through my mind. But like I said, uh, from 2015 to um, even now, I still have a lot to process just because I've been in this shock mode, uh, always grieving mode. So I didn't have that much time to, to process it at that time, just because I still was helping my dad take care of my mom. Well, that's right. So your mom's not gone at this point. Nope. She is. She's still here. She's still walking around. She's still go to walk. And Uh, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Did you tell your mom about your uh, test I'm, results? I'm private, but she she at that time she wasn't able to understand or or speak. You know, maybe that was a blessing. Yeah. Because if you thought her anxiety was bad before, if and depression, and if she would have been cognizant enough to understand that she had passed it down to you. Um, that would probably have been devastating. Yeah. Well, and maybe that was one of her fears that, but, but she never told us. Mm-hmm. And you know? so when you, uh, talk to the people there at Wash U and, um, they probably had you come in and do the neurobehavioral and all that. So actually, Joe, I haven't had, um, the opportunity to go in for the clinical trials. I'm still in the process of signing up. For, for my first appointments. Okay. Which I'm hope which I'm hoping they start this summer. Okay. All right. Yeah. And um I will just tell you <laughs> that <laughs> when they when they do those neurobehavioral exams, okay. It makes your brain hurt. I mean, I'm not kidding you. They they <laughs> we we've been doing them for years, you know, and and you go in and they ask you uh, I, I probably shouldn't tell you, but I'll tell you anyway. Uh, okay. So they they they'll they'll give you some numbers, you know, that you have to repeat back. And okay. You, and you really have to focus. And they'll start with three or four, and then they'll they'll jumble them all up, and then they get up to like ten numbers. And they oh wow! And they say them to you kind of fast, you know. And you can't if you stop and say, "Can you say that again?" You're done. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because they yeah. won't tell you again, you know, and they give you these, um, they give you a scenario and, and they'll talk to you about this whole narrative of this story. And then you have to repeat it, repeat back what you remember that they said. And mm-hmm. it's like a page full of information, you know, and they do these kinds of things to see where you're at from a cognitive standpoint. And I always think it's funny because um, I don't think very many people, even on their best day, could do really great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, exactly. Um, you know, it, it, it's and they do it year after year after year just to see where you are. And if you if you, you know, start having problems with any of that information, you know, and then they just document it. And so it's basically kind of the same questions again and again. You know, and mm-hmm. then there's there's many other um, testing that that they can do, like taking spinal fluid and and you know um, all those kinds of things, and and people get nervous about that. But you know what? I think um, I, I'm proud of both of us because, and all the people in the Facebook group, because we're yeah. willing to we're willing to step into that arena 
and get tested and continually um, be subjected to things like that so that they can further research. Yeah. You if, know, if we can be yeah. if we can be part of the cure, that could be that could be the greatest thing we do in our in our lives. And you know, mm-hmm. it's funny because there are lots of people out there that say, you know, and I and I get really offended by it, like um, Dr. Bredesen, who tells people that, you know, he can cure Alzheimer's with a keto diet and supplements. And if it were only that easy, right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. If it were only that easy. And the day that there really is a cure, it's going to stop. It's going to be breaking news. They're going to stop every news channel. I mean, it's going to be big. And yeah. I and I can't wait for that day to come. <laughs> I really can't wait for that day to come because um, I want to uh, – there's a couple of things I have wanted to do, and then I want to see what your goals are and see if I can help you with your goals. But one of the things I wanted to do was get rid of the stigma. Let's mm-hmm. let's stop thinking this is just people going crazy. These are people with brain diseases. And yep. although there's no cure, uh, what I do um, with my with my work is I uh, provide in-home assessments. So the University of Colorado Neurology Department um, and their 14 neurologists in the Memories Disorders Clinic and the Movements Disorders Clinic and the local research run by Dr. Huntington Potter, they send me their clients who've been diagnosed. And then I teach them how to live with the disease. And so oftentimes I will have family members um, uh, that... That sounds like my dream job, Joe. <laughs> well, how do I, I'll, I'll, how tell do I you, do that? I'll tell you how I got going on it. But um, <laughs> it's really, uh, it's, it was really important to me to earn the trust of the doctors. And yeah. they send me their patients. And so typically what I do is I provide an in-home assessment. So I will go into a home where a person's been diagnosed and I look at their surroundings. I give questionnaires to them so I know the information before I ask so I can see where they are in the stage of the disease. Okay. And then I look around their house and I help them figure out how to get rid of clutter and how to make their home safer. And then I teach the families good communication skills. Okay. Yeah. And so through the hospital, I provide classes the first Wednesday of every month. I've been doing it now for six years. And I provide them uh, information on how the brain functions and when it is impaired, what you will see in terms of symptoms. But I also teach family members how their own actions create reactions with mm-hmm. with the families. And so th- that way we can communicate better with our person with the diagnosis, um, talk them through it, let them know that we're there to support them and be able to look at it and say, oh, okay, so the temporal lobe isn't working. That's why they don't recognize objects. And now the parietal lobe's not working and that's why they can't name the object and things like that. And so yeah. for me, um, just helping people learn to have better caregiver skills, to open lines of communication, to realize what they own in the process um, so that they don't create symptoms that they just blame on the disease, you yeah. know, and things like that has been super important to me. So I really have tried to just get that education out there. And when you wrote on that Facebook post that you wanted to be open, you wanted to make a difference, I wanted to use my platform to help you do that. Wow. And I really want to do that. And one of the things I want to do for you is I want to connect you to a guest I had on the show recently. Her name is Amelia Schaefer, and she okay. is the director at the Alzheimer's Association of Diversity and Inclusion. And she works heavily with the black and Hispanic community to let your voices be heard. And she has, uh, you know, the the town meetings and things like that all over the country. And oh I'm God. going to connect you with Amelia because you can make a difference nationwide yes, <laughs> um, with what the work that she's doing. And she was my boss at the Alzheimer's Association for many years when I worked there. And I want to do that for you. So for me, I push research. 
I really push research. I want people to get involved. I want them to get signed up. I We have a wonderful um, research lab here in Denver that reaches uh, five states, but Dr. Huntington Potter is doing the Leukine study, which I'm going to send you information about, where we think he's really close to finding a cure. And what he has to do now is make sure that the drug and the uh, composition of the drug that he has put forth, the leukine uh, study, uh, that he can sustain a person actually slowing the progression and getting better longer than six months. And yes. if we can get his trial through, um, he might one day be the one that we end up saying, hey, he's found the cure. So now you know what I'm trying to wow. do. Uh, <laughs> I want to know what your goals are and how can I help you? What do you What do you want to do? Wow, Joe. Well, I just want to say that everything that you just said um, is amazing to me. Um, and I wish I would have met you and known you back in 2015 when I was just starting my caregiver journey right? Uh, because all of that information would have helped my family and I immensely. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would love to do what you're doing. I would love to be making a difference the way you're doing um, in several communities uh, around the nation because the first three years were the, the hardest in terms of taking care of my mom. There was a year where it was just me because she couldn't see my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but I, we also got help from from my aunts uh, and her friends. Um, so, the first three years were, were really rough, uh, and then eventually she started to decline again uh, and and started having seizures again, which is when we went to um, see that neurologist down at Indianapolis. But yeah, I I would love to be the person that I needed those first three years or throughout my whole caregiver journey. I would love to be that person for, for others that are going through what I went through. Oh, I love that. And, you know, when we help other people, that's really such a beautiful thing. But shifting gears, the things that we do for ourselves are also incredibly important, like our health and our exercise. So, Anytime you have good heart health and you're eating right and, you know, gut health translates into brain health, you know, yes. and when and I and I really think learning new things, um, learning new languages, uh, which you told me that you are doing um, yes. and, and, and exercising and things like that. I think all those kinds of things can certainly help you. Uh, it is important if you can find a way to educate people and mm-hmm. help them with this journey. And you are welcome to always get on uh, any of my classes. Um, okay. I, I put all my information on Summit Resilience and um, learn what you what you can and start making a difference in your own community. And I am yes. going to connect you with um, Amelia Shaper because I think um, that you could be a huge help to her in what she's trying to do across the nation. I would love that. Um, I would love that. By getting town forums and maybe be a speaker for her and, you know, things like that. There's a lot you can do, my friend. Yeah, I would love that. Um, and I'm something else I wanted to share with you is uh, that I'm going to be running in the Chicago Marathon this year, uh, I October love 9th, it. <laughs> and I'll be part of, and I'm part of the Alzheimer's team for the awesome. Alzheimer's Association. Awesome, so, running the 26.2 for Alzheimer's. <laughs> oh, I love that. And, you know, uh, for me, I've had a team at the Walked In Alzheimer's. I ran the Walked In Alzheimer's in Denver for five years. And, um, you know, we always love any time that, you you know, you could call your local Alzheimer's Association and see if you could be on their Speakers Bureau. 
And um, there's an opportunity maybe for you to uh, speak at uh, the longest day. They typically across the country, they will have a big luncheon with like a thousand people in bigger cities, sometimes more than that. And they are always looking for a speaker and you would be wonderful for that. So, you know, the more you can get this information out, um, the better. The only reason I have never put my information on the um, Facebook site that we are on is because mm-hmm. I didn't want people to think I was on there for that reason. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't looking for uh, – I, I didn't want anybody to feel exploited or anything like that. You know, once in a blue moon, I'd say I've got some classes you can attend or what have you. I answer people's posts and, and things like that. But I didn't want anybody to get the wrong idea that that was why I was on there. I'm on there because I'm one of you. But, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, for me, it's been really, really important. And I started my company seven years ago. And you can make a difference in your community. And, and just talking about it and shedding a light on it and, and making our people real. Making our people real. Because, you know, they are our family members. They're our moms. My sister, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't ever want people to... Think of them as the disease. They are people. Yes. You know, any closing thoughts from my listeners? Um, I just want to say thank you again, Joe. This conversation with you today has left me feeling really good and really hopeful about, about the future um, and about the difference I can make uh, in people's lives. So I just want to say that I'm grateful and honored to have been on your show well i'm right back at you because honestly like i said if we're not talking about it um we're not making a difference so it's so it's important let's let's keep being the voice for the people that can't speak and let's get that education out there and i make a solemn vow to you my new friend i will help you in any way you need okay if you want to you want to get this out i'm going to help you And we're going to educate people and we're going to leave a legacy for our moms. Okay. I am in total agreement with you, Joe. (laughs) And (laughs) I hope you don't get, I hope you don't get tired of me messaging you and asking you questions. (laughs) I will not get tired of you. We are all in, buddy. We are all in. Well, thank you so much. And thank you. And um, if we, if anybody would like to send any emails, you know, you can reach me at, Jill at SRT Help, and we will get you information. If you have any questions for Juan, I will make sure that he gets it or any email comments. Uh, Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Uh, and I look forward to working with you to make an impact on Alzheimer's. Me too. Well, we will see (laughs) you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.